0: There is no doubt that the business sector wields plenty of power, power that can shape the world, and if applied with a conscience, positively impact all spheres of civilization. In Conscious Conversations, I, Carmen Murray, chat with a fascinating array of industry leaders and pioneers to explore how doing business with the greater good in mind can lead to better returns and a better South Africa for all. Join me on my voyage of discovery, and together we'll unearth the value, nobility, prosperity, and opportunity that is part and parcel of ethical capitalism. Hey, hey, hey! Welcome, Conscious Tribe. I'm super excited about today, so I'm welcoming all the listeners back and I'm fascinated that I can have a conversation um, with John Sarnay today. Um, I don't even think he needs any introduction. He's a futurist. He's into neuroscience. And he really introduced this whole idea of Um, foresight intelligence which we have soon um, recognized is a very complex thing to do is to predict the future and the conversation that we want to have today is talking about liberated futures as such and how can we design a world of hope and that is you know there's so much duality and um, polarities when it comes to this conversation. I think it comes with a lot of complexity and I would really like um, John Sarney Um, to give us a little bit of insight into this so john welcome how are you
1: i'm wonderful thank you what a kind introduction of no introduction i mean that what do they say work hard enough until you don't need to introduce yourself so i guess that's a accolade (laughs) in its own so thank you very much i appreciate it
0: (laughs) yeah i know you know there's hard work that goes into that so the first question i would like to um pose to you is you've been writing books for years And, Mm. um, you know, you've made an announcement recently that Mm. um, you won't be writing a book, but doing a documentary. Mm. Are you still doing a documentary? Where are you going with it?
1: Sure. When I saw ChatGPT and what was capable of doing, I extrapolated that into the future and realized that bookshops are going the same way CD shops have gone, same way the photoshops have gone. And most people are really upset about that extrapolation. As I would imagine, whenever something familiar gets taken away from us, we get quite upset. And also what happened is a friend of mine, Maria from Puerto Rico, messaged me on Instagram and said to me, John, could you read one of my books before I put them out? And I said, one of your books? What? I didn't know you write books. I I wrote five (laughs) this weekend. I was like, okay. Well, that's it now, right? I wrote five this weekend, which means ChatGPT wrote five this weekend. And I just thought, you know, it was a real commoditized space. So I decided to make a documentary and I started meeting with different filmmakers. And what has happened is that AI is affecting filmmaking, in fact, maybe even faster than it's affecting the word. Like It's almost in parallel with each other. I have decided to write my 10th book because... My agent in America is asking me to write a book around artificial intelligence and the impact it is having on human beings. And so I've decided to write the book and I'm halfway through it at the moment, which I'm really enjoying again. But I honestly think it's the last book because I just, I can't see this practice moving forward. Just like think about all the amazing music that AI is making, like Mm. on the fly in 30 seconds. Like, so this is just something I'll be doing as a last vintage A collector's item number 10, I guess, is what it's called.
0: I love that. Um, You know, one of the things that fascinates me is I also um, heard the whole theory around books that having a book in your hand is going to become like old things in a new way, new things in an old way. And it's going to be the same like it was during the age of enlightenment. Um, You know, when you used to go to the printing press, where it's going to be a luxury to get a a book that's authentically written, um, but also a book that's, you know, in a binded and in paper or silk paper, etc., rather than a digital e-book. What's your view on that?
1: I think it will be just like those very, very expensive Japanese mangoes that you can buy. You, you've seen them? They're yeah, like A yeah. few thousand rand a mango. And so <laughs> I guess books will become like that eventually. You know, you'll have – you have mangoes till you can – I mean, you can eat two gazillion mangoes a day. You, no, no, nobody's counting or even worried anywhere in the world. So I think it will become that. It will become just like we pay extra to go see a live musician play – because that's the uniqueness listening to music is not commoditized. So I think everything will have its little niche. The thing for me is that the little niche is very little. And if you make money out of that, the shrinking of that market makes it very difficult. Think about musicians. That's Mm. a very difficult market. Think about modeling, Mm. just modeling in its own used to be a very high paying job. Now it's not because it's commoditized Mm. and soon will be AI models. So Yes, I think all of this stuff will start moving to that very, very niche, luxurious, personalized space. But is that a place you want to be working in is a question you need to ask yourself.
0: Yeah, I'm wondering if I should write my book still. <laughs> you <laughs> put me off. <laughs> okay. All right. So let's jump into the conversation. Very excited about this one. Um, you know, and I think it's um, very fitting for conscious conversation. So if we just look at, you know, hope, hope is is a very complex emotional and psychological state. Um, There's an element of expectation and positive outcomes. But then in the time that we're living and where things and uncertainty is changing all the time, uncertainty is or change is complexity. Um, You know, feeling that attitude of hope and joy is something that people probably don't want to hold on to for too long because they know it's going to change in the the very next moment. So perhaps um, if you can give me a little bit of insight into what is the concept or the idea behind liberated futures, and what do you what What does it mean to you?
1: You know, I it downloaded to me, it downloaded to me, in me, towards me, through me, um, at a Dr. Joe Dispenza meditation retreat in Cancun, and liberated futures means how do I liberate myself in a world with ubiquitous hyper intelligence around me. And that's a really tough thing to think about because we've been paid, prized, celebrated to have intelligence. And now all of a sudden our intelligence is becoming questionable. And the thing that you can relate it to is that in the agricultural era, for thousands of years, in fact, 10,000 years, our physicality was the most important thing. Today, our physicality is not a thing at all. I mean, maybe if you're a personal trainer or a power lifter, but I mean, that's all. Everybody else is working with, into intelligence. And so we, we, liberating ourselves is accessing new types of creativity in order to celebrate uncertainty. Hmm. Now, let's remember that the logical left brain is addicted to certainty, to logic, to analytics, to outcomes. And that's the way the brain works on that left side accounting, mathematics, all these STEM, it's always about an absolute outcome. Where you start to engage with your heart and with new lateral ways of creativity, it's got almost nothing to do with an outcome. It's got everything to do with the actual practice of accessing your flow. Mm. And that's a very difficult thing to try and ascertain because for 200 years we've been prized for outcomes. And now all of a sudden you're telling me outcomes are not important. And we did a podcast a little while back where I said that I think goals are becoming irrelevant And I think that systems are becoming relevant. In other words, if you put a system in place for your life, your goals look after themselves. And if you set a goal, you're driving towards that one goal. And then by the time you finish that goal, it's done. Whereas when you have a system, a system just like, like um, is ever evolving in itself. And so this is where the idea of hope came about, you know, because hope has always been predicated on some level of certainty. And, Mm. In order for us to be able to get hope, our brain said, okay, the certainty, I'll set my goals within the constructs of the certainty and I'll push my ambition to achieve my goals inside this line of certainty and hope. Now I have hope because now I'm driving towards it. Now, but what the problem is, is so there's no certainty and many of our goals are irrelevant because think about just book now, you've just spoken about it. Like, is it something I should do? Isn't it like the goal itself seems Odd. And then you think about people that have put their kids into law and medicine, and you think to yourself, is that something you should be studying? I mean, surely that goals has to change with ChatGPT 3.5 passing all of those exams with A's. Now, that's, we're not even on ChatGPT 4 or 5 or 6, which means, I mean, we don't even understand that sort of level of intelligence. So it seems as though we've got a hopeless process based on the old way of thinking about hope. So we have to recalibrate hope. And in order for us to recalibrate hope, we need to think about courage because how do we, how do we drive bravery and courageousness in times of uncertainty? And if we're able to do that, we're able to recalibrate hope. So let's break down courage. But before I do, do you have any questions before I can break down courage?
0: Um, Yeah. I mean, before you even get there, um, you know, the, the interesting thing for me is, is yeah, uncertainty is, is something real, but I almost feel like we've been walking unconsciously our entire lives. And then all of a sudden we face with this massive problem. And now it's like, Oh gosh, everything that I've hoped and I've dreamed for is now um, irrelevant. And, and the challenge with that is we are still continuing on that path because we are not present. Yes. You know, for me, the future and understanding where the future is going is also to know that word that I just said, future, is something in the past and in the present, um, and, it's, and it's going to be in the future. So um, it's the extended timeline. So the challenge is like we are not being present in order for us to see, wait, wait a minute, what is actually happening in the world around us? Do I like this future? that I'm seeing and that I'm moving towards. And that leans into this conversation around courage because you have to, you have to lean in and you have to fall down that mountain and just hope that it's going to work out the way you want it to work out. But it sometimes. It
1: probably won't work out the way you want it to work out because that's the point of the unknown. Because
0: (laughs) even what you just said now is like,
1: (laughs) even that in itself is like still programming, right? Look, firstly, I call. I call it mourning your future memories. Very, very important to mourn our future memories because I've just gone through a breakup and when you go through a breakup or a divorce, what you're actually mourning are the future plans and visions that you had with each other. Mm. And if we think of society at a large, in order for us to really get into full acceptance of redesigning and recalibrating ourselves, you need to mourn those possible future scenarios that you had planned. And that's a tough thing. But also let's remember that this idea of being present... And in the power of now, which is an incredibly difficult thing to do when your brain is wired for action, adrenaline, and anxiousness. And so actually, I don't want people to be present. And I think it's not about I don't want them to be present. I have always felt frustrated at the idea of gurus telling me to be present because I never knew how to do it. And Mm -hmm. I used to think, well, let me get into the present. Let me like focus myself into the present. So the concept of getting present has always frustrated me because I've never been shown the tools of how to get present. I've read Eckhart Tolle and all the gurus, but Joe Dispenza was the first person that actually showed me how to get present without getting present. It's just changing your brainwaves, but let's unpack hope, courage, and then we'll get into brainwaves and presence. And then we can like, like wrap it up in that sort of frame. Okay. So in order to be recalibrating hope, we need to think about courage in brand new ways. And Let's break down the word courage. Firstly, to unpack it and understand it, and then understand what next is. Courage comes from the French word cœur. And cœur, I don't know if I'm saying that right for anybody <laughs> speaking French. My apologies. Cœur, <laughs> cœur. Anyway, Ooh. it means yeah, yeah, yeah. It means I can say croissant and I can say renault. I just don't know how to say cœur. So I'll figure that out. Um, but cœur means heart. And if you think about the word courage, it's the rage of the heart. And this is really important for us to understand because courage doesn't come from logically understanding an outcome. Courage comes from the rage of the heart to step into the unknown. So truly, courage is actually something that we've always been requiring to move into the unknown, but we've used our logical brain to mask it. And in order for us to be truly raging from the heart, we need to understand courage in five different ways. The first one is, are we intellectually courageous? In other words, are we willing to have new thoughts that are uncomfortable? And the truth is, we're not. Mm. Because neuroscience is proving to us that we're, by the time we're 35 years old, we have between 60 and 70,000 thoughts a day of which 90% are the same thoughts as yesterday. Meaning that our brains are familiarity machines, not adaptability machines. And so in order for us to be in the present moment, We must be okay with new thoughts coming into us all the time, but we're not Mm. because we're scared, we're afraid, and we're stuck to familiarity. So that's the first thing. Two, emotionally courageous. Are we willing to sit with uncomfortable emotions? And the truth is, most people are not. We avoid sadness, anger, all these other, we just avoid them. We drug them away, drink them away, run them. We do whatever we can not to sit with them. But it was CJ Lewis who said it best. He said, I sat with my anger long enough until she told me her name was Grief. Mm. And it shows us that when you're not processing these emotions, they show up in road rage. They show up in triggers. They show up in ridiculous places. And I imagine that every single war ever started in the history of humanity is based on a lack of emotional courage with a lack of unprocessed emotions from that leader mostly a man
0: also i think that cognitive dissonance also has Mm. something to do with that because if you don't feel your emotions and you actually Mm. don't know what you're Mm. experiencing Mm. how can Mm. you make sense of it you know um, i was Mm. talking um, the previous interview about emotional intelligence um, and you know the emotional brain And it's very interesting to me that so many people don't understand their emotional sovereignty. I'm going to give an example. One of my friends, her son was bullied. It really upset her and she went to go and speak to the parents. And when they had a conversation with the child that didn't know what feelings he was feeling and what his emotions were Mm. so he didn't know Mm. how to label them so i am angry what is angry what is Mm. frustrated i don't think that we as human beings actually understand the labeling Mm. of particular emotions Mm. and that that Mm. leans into what you are talking about right
1: Mm. yeah that's so smart yeah we don't i mean we've never been taught though right school never taught us that it wasn't really part of what we had to learn and I do think that the, the currency of the future is an emotional currency, not an intelligence currency. Mm. And think about it in agricultural times it was a physical currency. It wasn't an intelligence currency. So we've had to change how we add value to the world and rage of the heart is really the next way we're going to be adding value to the world because it's an emotional state that we need to be thinking about. So we have emotional courage, uh, courage that we're not doing. Intellectual courage we're not doing. Then we have spiritual courage, with, which is, are you living life based on purpose and meaning? And if you th- look at the Google search um, percentages, what is the purpose of life has gone up 9,000% since 2020, 9,000%. And it shows that people are in a desperation to figure out what their purpose is. What is the purpose of life? And the truth is education asked you to fit in, not fit out. It was never asked you to find your purpose, it was following, following a system. So we're also finding a space where people are trying to come and figure out and say, Is my purpose being that HR director of a company? Surely it's not. I mean, surely there must be something else that I should be doing with my life, really. So Mm. that is also the, the, the third type of courage that most people are not linked into yet. The fourth type of courage is moral courage. And what most people will say is, of course, we're moralistic. But EY just got caught cheating on their ethics exams and got fined 100 million euros. And are EY bad people? No, they're just in survival mode. They're not about the process. They're about an outcome, which is what the economies of scale and industrial revolution taught us. It's about the outcome. It's not about the process, it's about the outcome. And then fifth is physical courage. And what we've done as a society is we've masked self-abuse as excellence. And now let me explain is... When you get a Tony Robbins standing up, they're going, yes, you can. You must push through. Yes, you will break through that ceiling. Wake up at 4 a.m. and do 100,000 sit-ups. And all of us are like, yes, that's what success looks like. And then what happens to us, which is the real problem, is that when we finish the day, we don't think we've done enough. And this is self-abuse because you've never done enough, ever. And that's the point of that system was you're not good enough you got to do more to be good. And it shows us that if you are present and if you are emotionally intelligent, you don't need to push yourself through anything. You're already amazing. You just have to be in that state of flow that we don't really quite understand yet. Mm. So if we go back down to emotional intelligence, which is what you spoke about just now, I think the best way to describe emotional intelligence is how quickly can you recover from a trigger?
0: Mm. you first have to know what your triggers are right
1: (laughs) no but you know you know when you're in a trigger because you're sulking you're upset you're stuck to the past you're feeling sorry for yourself you're jealous you're insecure those are all triggers but you have to
0: understand what what, the trigger was before that
1: feeling yeah but before you even get there are you triggered yes how does it quickly come out of a trigger which means you've now understood it and processed it the longer you stay in a trigger the lower your emotional intelligence which means you're not present in any way which means that in order to be present in order to rage from the heart you need to be emotionally intelligent which is the heart process to recalibrate hope in a state of in a state of uncertainty
0: i think courage is such a difficult thing to achieve in life um you know as you said the moral values i absolutely love that i mean you know when i start doing value audits of what i want to do and what i don't want to do i mean when i was watching um painkillers i was in tears Because Mm. in that, I saw the industry that I'm working in, marketing and communications, and I was like going, Mm. there is something fundamentally wrong in selling things, especially if you know it's bad for people and actually not saying anything and not actually working with those clients, you know? Mm. And I I mourned, I mourned for what I do. And it it, it Mm -hmm. really has put me in a place where I had to check out for a week And just go and say, okay, right, how do I do a value audit and what can I do in the position that I'm in to make Mm -hmm. an impact in this current state? And what am I going to say yes to and what am I going to say no to? And then, Mm -hmm. you know, day by day, and that's why I'm finding myself in a better state, is saying, okay, right, today is today. I can only control what's happening today. I don't know what tomorrow is going to be like. And I feel that that kind of keeps me a little bit more aligned. And also I don't go. (laughs) Because right now the world is throwing fear at us. And it's just fear, 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 fear. But also I don't say we shouldn't look into the dark. We should definitely look, but don't stare. You know, you've got to see what's happening. <laughs> yeah, I like that. You, you yeah. know, you've yeah. you got to see what's happening out mm. in the world, but don't let it become you. And don't let it become part of your fears because fear and courage dance together.
1: Mm. Mm. Well, I do think that if you've got a world that fear is being thrown at you, you need to check in on what you're watching and what are you looking at. I avoided painkillers.
0: <laughs> because I didn't want to get
1: into that state. I didn't. I kind of knew what it was about. I try to avoid anything that gets me into a state because what you start to learn is that your body's craving to feel sorry for the world. Your body's craving to feel sorry for itself. And so what we do is we seek out stories and conversations and memories and even create memories to give ourselves a hit of that feeling low. Mm. And so I try and manage my emotional intelligence, my, my emotional resonance as a priority and not put myself in any situation. And sometimes, you know, I'll come up with a memory. That's a made up memory. And the reason I'm coming up with that made up memory is just to confirm again, that I'm not good enough. Mm. I'm not so yeah, just be careful of accessing anything that's making you feel a little bit lower than amazing and awesome.
0: Yeah. Look, I mean, from, from my from my perspective, I also feel like there's a, you know, when you work with clients and with big corporates, you know, you have to keep your finger on the pulse. you got to know what's happening in the world because that's who you serve. And you also serve the consumers in the end of the day. So, you know, I can't just walk away from my job. I have a job to do. So I also have to keep myself informed. Oh, of course. So, you oh, know, that comes with fear facing you all the time or it comes with, sure. with things being being thrown at you and i think society at large in your know, day-to-day job where you're sitting where in your culture um you know um, i see you speak a lot about leadership and i i i, mm. I i'm very very um Passionate about leadership, you know. I studied my postgraduate diploma in management practice at Henley Business School, and the way that they educate is something mm. else. It's actually, you know, I I was just walking into life like this. I just didn't, um, you know, look at what's going on and what's happened to me in the past. I never processed things, and mm. and all of a sudden I have to do incident logging and memories I didn't even remember. All of a sudden I'm digging into my subconscious mind mm. and remembering things when I was three years old, four years old and i was like how is it even possible to access that and through through this processes that they taught us you know you start learning what the difference is between a transactional leader and a transformational Mm, leader
1: transformational And,
0: and 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 you know how to show up in the world and i think um when it comes to to these things is we need more leaders also that doesn't do the um you know that's not autocratic one third of People that's, um, Currently, there was a report. One third of people in South Africa alone are facing corporate bullying. And it's because of this mm. t- transactional mindset, right? But the mm. way that we see money is going to be very different in 10 years from now. And we got to get comfortable mm. with that. And we need, I mean, BRICS alone is going to show us a thing or two. But after that, you know, um, with structural unemployment, what's going to happen then? You know, when masses are losing their jobs. You know, the universal mm. income is going to become a real thing, um, and mm. and there's all of these things that we see. But there's also, I don't know, um, I'm I always believe in the yin and the yang. There's a dark side and there's a light side. Some technologies mm. are there to serve, and other technologies are there to take away. And mm. and if I for I don't know, I'm just not. I'm this is free speech, but there's about a hundred patent. Um, um uh, weather modification technologies that's patented Mm -hmm. now you see is this not a way if it is that they are modifying technology you're modifying our weather i can't say if it is or not but why does this technology exist isn't it to do something Mm. good with it if it's good why are we not hearing about it Mm. When, it's, when there's silence it's always a bad thing <laughs> um, so, <laughs> I don't know for me, not always, I mean obviously when you do your internal work and you, you sit in silence it's a very different thing, but I mean especially when there's these kind of mm. movements happening, so We are creating a world of fear because we want people to stay stay in line. We want people to to walk the walk that we want them to walk because we fear. If you look at um, some of the world leaders, if you look and you research and you look into their childhood, um, it is this fear of not being able to be in control. And this is the people that control the world. Some of them are world rulers and we fear them. So it goes back to this whole emotional um, intelligence thing and understanding your inner child, who you are, and you have to show up as some sort of transformational mm. leader, but it can't mm. come with fear. You have to be so careful.
1: Yeah, look, I mean, I think the, for the millennia, we've been driven by fear mm. and uh, we've had to tap out of that, um, I suppose, that sort of energy stream to be able to engage with a new version of what humans are really more than anything else. So yeah, I think that's our job to change brainwaves, to move it. from a beta to an alpha, to come into a state of uh, brain heart coherence, allow that in itself to access new types of creativity and to bring about new solutions. You know, as Einstein said, you can't solve a problem from the same awareness that created it. So how do we change our awareness and how do we get into a state
0: mm. of
1: flow rather than a state of worry? And that becomes our only job.
0: Yeah, it's a very interesting point there because I do. I, I mean, I. I mean, as a futurist, I'm sure that you can also, um, you know, agree with this. I believe that we are creators. Right now, our bodies have created like millions of blood cells. Um, you right. know, our neuron network is exploding with galaxies of thoughts and ideas as we are sitting mm. here speaking. So we are constantly mm. creating, and by being creators, creativity to me just seems to be the answer. To how we can reinvent our futures and how we can mm. reach that liberated future.
1: Absolutely, I agree. Well said.
0: Yeah, oh, I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> okay, so tell me um, a little bit about the practical ap- um, applications. You know, if you talk about you know re- reaching different wave states. You know, what would what would? Sorry for my dog. Um, he's making some sound noises here. Okay, so how do we reach these? Um, mind states like the wave states that you're referring to, because I think that would be very helpful to the audience.
1: So there's, um, there's the concept of psychology that we've been relying on for the last few hundred years to bring about some sort of mental wellness and philosophy that has helped us just find more calmness. But I do think that psychology and philosophy can only take us so far Mm. And what we have to actually start to do is think about the neuroscience that holds the philosophy and software. And the neuroscience itself is really the the capacity at which you can deal with the amount of change that's happening. So think about an iPhone 1 and the capacity it has to hold software. If you had to try and download iOS 16 or 17 into an iPhone 1, it wouldn't work yeah. because it just doesn't have the capacity to hold it. So we have to move from software, which is psychology and philosophy, to hardware, which is neuroscience, because we, we want to change the dynamics of the container that holds that information. And in order to do that, you, for me, the fastest way that we can do that is through the use of psychedelics and meditation. And what psychedelics and meditation do to our brains is quite literally make it more adaptable, quite literally start to relax it away from existing familiar patterns of personality to start to change and shift our consciousness and our awareness to start to see solutions ahead of us that otherwise were not there. As the old cliche saying goes, we only use 10% of our brains. Whether that's true or not, we don't know, but I do think that we are using an a very, very small percentage of our potential as human beings. And we have much more to access. And the only way for us to access it is through the practice of malleability of the brain. And so for me, the research has taken me to trauma healing. It does change the way your brain works. Reverse mentoring, getting a 20-year-old to coach you about what the future looks like. Spending 20 minutes a day in the morning and I mean, 20 minutes a day in the future, listening to a podcast, a YouTuber talk about the future as often as possible so that your brain starts to look for new language and new anchor points into the future. And then meditation, because what meditation does, it's like brain gym. Now think about it. If you never take your body for exercise, what happens to your body? It becomes stiff and starts to wither away. It has no muscles and that sort of thing. When meditating, it's brain gym. You're actually creating this malleability of the brain. That otherwise was not there. And then fourthly is psychedelics. And the word psychedelics comes from the Greek mind manifesting, which is exactly that. It's you manifesting your mind in brand new ways. And what you start to realize when you do these practices is that without even realizing we've been addicted to adrenaline, anxiousness, frustration, low self-esteem, we become addicted to these things because in the industrial revolution, the whole point of it was outcome-based studying outcome-based organizations, outcome-based religion, even religion was an outcome-based practice. And so we've been duped into this idea that everything has to be based on an outcome, not the process. Now, what happens when you start to change your brainwaves you naturally come into the present moment because that's what an alpha brainwave does to us. It naturally calms us, naturally brings us into the present moment. And we don't actually have to try to be in the present moment, which is what we're trying to do with a high beta brainwave, which is very, very difficult. And so really the operating system of presence is neuroscience and moving from high beta to alpha.
0: I love that. I actually, my other podcast, the In with the Outsiders, um, I had an interviewer around, around this whole psychedelic journeys and and you know, speaking to a Reiki master and a medicine woman because you, to hold the space when somebody goes on that journey. Um, and it was fascinating to hear. I myself haven't done a psychedelic journey, but I use lion's mane. Um, but I do find it fascinating when I hear all the stories, and even with netnography. So we literally are like the giraffes, and we go and we look on what's happening online to see how um, people interpret, you know, psychedelic journeys, and it's fascinating. But um, apart from that, is I, I feel that it's very. Um, some people use it for their acquisitions or so somebody's going to do a great um, year plan. They actually go on a psychedelic journey for, for two or three days. They go on a retreat. They come back and they have all of the ideas because they could set themselves in that present moment. Then you go other psychedelic journeys where people are having the most traumatic experiences. What do you think um, is that all about? Or are we talking about the same type of psychedelic experience?
1: Well, I think you've got to be with uh, very well-trained people to help you through it, number one. And number two, I would start with low doses. I wouldn't go straight into a hero's dose. And I would just be mindful and respectful of it. I think people, if they're having bad trips, they haven't really understood what they're getting up to. Um, And also when they realize what is a bad trip, sometimes bad trip is just you not being in control. So your understanding of a bad trip might actually not be a bad trip. It's just that you stop being you. And that's not a bad thing. That's the whole point. So I always suggest go slowly, go easy, start with microdosing, find some professionals, don't rush it. And the same with meditation. I would suggest you start twice a day, 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes in the evening. Go slowly and build up. You know, I'm on this morning I did 90 minutes. So just it's a build-up. It's a it's a it's a fitness process, not something to be just done haphazardly.
0: Yeah, I love that. I mean, I, I I think I've also reached now to nineteen to two hours, and I couldn't I couldn't understand the concept of doing it even for five minutes because I've got ADHD. Listen, when mm. that mind goes, it runs like ants in my head all the time, completely mm. fixated. But it, you can get there if you if if it's a mindful practice. Um, what I want to to just also understand, um, you know. In terms of, of these various um, states, I also just want to pick your brain in terms of your senses and your, you know, um, when you're in an environment, you know, you, when you collect data, your systems one and systems two thinking. So your systems two thinking is when you have to make decisions and you take a long time to do that, you're familiar with it. And system one is where you take over 40 million bits of information in per second. How, what is your, your view on the environments that you have to set, especially for people working in, in corporates where the environments are not, you know, they can't do it for that. But we are human beings that collect data all the time. And what do we, what do, we do in our environment to stimulate senses?
1: Well, I mean, I've never really thought of that. But what I, can, what I can just relate it to is when I tell people I travel a lot, most people go, oh my God, that's terrible. I don't know how you do it. To be honest with you, it's my favorite thing to do. I love going through airports. I love listening to podcasts. I love hearing new accents. I love I love all of that. And so the environment is not the environment. Your perspective of the environment is the environment. And slowly but surely, the less you become you, the less you start measuring success like the ways you used to, which is what the result of mushrooms and meditation is after a while, is that reality of yours that was stuck in a place that was continuously confirming to you you're not good enough, you need to push more, a bully boss, a backstabbing colleague, whatever it may be, they'll dissipate. You've created those because of your own subconscious repatterning that may or subconscious patterning that you haven't really worked on. So I remember when I went into business in my early 20s, I'd started doing business with these serious gangsters. But I was having a problem with the lack of acknowledgement, acknowledgement from not having a dad. And when my acknowledgement of myself happened without it coming from, my, from an absent father, these gangsters disappeared. They were only there because of my desperation for acknowledgement from an alpha male. And so you realize that your environment is your creation. As Dr. Joe Dispenza says, is your personality creates your personal reality. And your personality is made up of how you think, act, and feel. And if you don't change how you think, act, and feel, your personal reality will never change. And so that as you start to change the way you think, which is through meditation and psychedelics, your environment will naturally change. And whether you're still in the environment, the boss will leave, the colleague will leave, the job will move, or you might tune into absolutely something brand new. And so if you're not seeing any change in your environment, you're not doing enough work, you're not good enough yet in recreating and recalibrating the way you think, act, and feel.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Um, So I studied to become a a numerologist as well. Um, So I'm very into understanding um, numbers and so forth with life cycles. And the interesting thing about it is also it depends also on your life. It would be unbelievable how accurate... Um, numerology is and how many people are actually starting to turn to these things to understand problems in their life and one thing that you learn about numerology is um, the repetitive cycles and the lesson if you don't learn the lesson it keeps on coming to you with different characters same storyline just in a different scene but the same characters all the time so you need to find a way to deal with situations and really work on your inner self before um, you can actually change that environment so i totally agree with that
1: so look when you say work on your inner self what i've started to realize all that is is to practice the move into an alpha brainwave when you are in an alpha brainwave your personality is different you have a calm heart, a clear mind, and the more you can go into an alpha brain state, your personal development's done. What we've always discovered or thought personal development was was going back and speaking about it, going there and doing this, and then going that, which had its time. But I think the shortcut is to move yourself into an alpha brainwave, into a new timeline, into a new consciousness, into a new awareness, and the rest starts kind of fading out. It just because that's how the brain works. It it focuses in on the things that you keep thinking about. And in an alpha brainwave, the things that you think about are much calmer and very different to what you used to think about.
0: I love that. The first time I broke up um, with my, my first love... <laughs> The only way I could get through it was actually imagining the future of what it's going to look, my revenge thoughts of how I'm going to be in the future life, happy and have that person in my life. I'm not trying to say that revenge is a good thing, but in that moment, it was the only way how I could deal with my emotions was envisioning a future. So I do, I do believe that it's, it's, it's important, but I mean, also with that being said, um, you know, I've gone through quite a lot in the past four years and it has also been very essential for me to go back to those problems and understand what went wrong. Cause I want to learn the lesson and I want to make sure that it doesn't happen again and to identify when that works. So, you know, working on yourself requires some work, um, but you have to be, have courage to go down that road because it's not
1: easy. No, of course it's not easy. It's, it's not easy stopping being yourself. It's flipping hard. It's taken decades to be you, and now what we're saying is the person that's got you here is not going to get you there, which means you have to find a different version of yourself. You know, that's why my last book was called, Who Do We Become? Because the question is, is who are you becoming in this process of transformation? And it's a tough, tough, flippant thing, man. It's tough for me. It's tough for everybody, you know. So, but that's the transition that we're in. That's the transformation that we're in. And let's remember that transformation always has three stages. It has the sad, the strange, and the adventure. And where we are right now is between sad and strange because we're not, we've left the shore of familiarity. We've left the old world, but we haven't quite arrived where we need to arrive. We haven't quite evolved to who we need to become. We're still sending our kids to get educated for 1986 at school. We know it's not right, but we don't know what else to do. So there seems to be a lot of flux in the air. And I think we're in it for the next few years and so to realize that we're between sad and strange, that acceptance of that to wear the armor to do the work becomes really, really important.
0: I want to ask you something, um, you know, what is your, your view on education um, and where that is going, like, especially in the developing countries, um, you know, where are we heading with that? And, you know, how can courage actually be integrated into how we educate the young, the, the young children? I actually feel that they adapt more to change than we do.
1: Well, look, I, I think, I think everybody is in the same boat when it comes to education, because what I mean by that is that access to the internet changes everything. And we've seen this, you know, um, there was an experiment done with these kids in India that were given iPads with no instructions and nothing. And within a few hours, they were coding and doing all sorts of different things. So kids are very, very adaptable. We are the ones who kick that enthusiasm and passion out of them. Look, education's a tough place because I think educators themselves know what they're doing is not relevant, but they themselves don't know what else to teach. And the reason is, is that in the past, it's always been important what you know, and now what's becoming important is how you engage with what's coming. The skills change. It used to be what, now it's how. And how is an emotional intelligence of adaptability, whereas what was your IQ, now it's AQ adaptability quotient, emotional intelligence, and these sort of new quotients that schooling isn't fixated on. So what I always suggest to parents is, obviously you can't take your kids out of school, it's illegal, but what you can do is you can expose them to as many different businesses, startups, books, careers, people as possible, so that what happens is by that like extended exposure, kids and adults start to pick up what they love and what they don't love. And what starts to happen is that they start to connect these invisible dots of what their genius is about through the exposure. And once they start tapping into their own genius, really they start to add value to the world in a very, very unique way. And I imagine the currency of the future because of the commoditization of services and intelligence that we've seen. And the second thing I always tell the parents is, Learn with them, because you most probably don't know, how to distribute your genius online. Because there's five, six billion people online. All you have to do is get 0.00001% of them to pay you $2 a month, where they will engage with your genius because of the tribe that you've built. And now what you have is you have somebody that's expressing their genius to a global audience without the constructs of having to have studied something, work in a job, climb a career, get a degree, but actually just tapping into their genius. And I always use myself as an example, right? I've never been to university. I lecture at about twenty universities. I've never been to one. And it's just because I've tapped into my own fascination with my own topic and I'm allowing that to lead me into the future.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a it's an interesting um concept. The the one thing I just wanted to say, but what is your your thoughts then to teach people how to sell yourself online. With ChatGPT, you can create all of your context. So um, it's a lot of regurgitation of information and it's feeling like it's all language driven. And it's starting, It's I call it fluff GPT, fluff GPT, because it just feels like everything is starting to become so fluffy. Um, and the conversations, you can immediately see when somebody's done it. So um, that's the one thing is the, you know, everybody can create content, but it's also getting into authenticity. I think that's important. But the other thing that I wanted to mention is one of the research studies that we did through Netnography is that we call it the wisdom seekers and this rise of wisdom seekers. Um, But also, if you look with it in parallel with anxiety, specifically social anxiety and people that are going to psychologists and so forth, there's a big digital detox um, trend also under current movement, which means um, and also because I work in social media, I can see um, from four years ago, three years ago, two years ago, six months ago. The engagement and how people are online, they just doom scroll. They're not really participating. And a lot of people that, um, you know, ad blocking has increased to about 50%. Now, if people block your ads, it doesn't just uh, impact your industry. It impacts the entire industry. That means anybody that posts, whether it's you, whether it's a financial institution, the the audiences go smaller and smaller, especially in South Africa, because look how many. We don't have a lot of people online. Um, We've only got about 65%, 70% online. Half of them ad blocks, and some of them don't have access to the Internet. You know, all those conversations, it becomes a very... um, Tough thing, and this is where I think that especially in our country is that we also need to teach people how to solve critical problems like that, complex issues, you know, systemic issues.
1: Yeah, absolutely, spot on.
0: All right, well, closing thoughts, Mr. John, tell me what, in your view, If I had to step away here and just leave you with the audience, what would you say to them in order for them to create a liberated future starting today? What is the first action points and um, where can they find you and how can they reach out to you and when can we see this new book?
1: The most important thing that anybody can practice at this time is Einstein's quote who says you cannot solve a problem from the same awareness that created it. And the only question you need to be asking yourself is how quickly can I change my awareness as quickly as possible? That's all. Because the awareness itself will look after the outcome. So just focus on awareness. That's all you have to do. That would be the most important thing. That's what I'm doing. Because I'm like, I'm, I'm totally uncertain about my future. I don't even know where I'll be living. Like I'm totally uncertain. And I actually see that as a pro because the more uncertain the future, the more unfamiliar it is, which means that you've evolved and elevated yourself into space of unfamiliarity which is, for me, uh, kudos. But really important is the practice of awareness change. And that that becomes the key. Secondly, I'm the only John Sane in the world. How lucky, because of 8 billion people around. There's only one John Sane. I mean, I've, I've Googled. So <laughs> you can find me anywhere and everywhere. Uh, John Sane, S-A-N-E-I. And uh, my new book should be out by the end of the year. We're in the process of writing it still. So we're really nearly there. But um We'll see, and Liberated Futures should be on the shelves for December.
0: Ha, ha perfect Christmas reading time. Ha-ha. Mm-hmm. And there you go. And getting ready for the new year. 2024 is the year. It is the year of eight, which is abundance, but also eight is also the year of communication. So there you go. Mm. <laughs> mm. All right. Great. Okay. Um, thank you so much, John, for taking the time to, to chat to us about this. This was really fascinating. I really love the courage that you've broken down for us. It's really helpful. And I can't wait for us to share it. Thank you so much.